welcome to the Wealthy Life Podcast. We are so excited to be with you on today. We've got a special guest with us today, Glenn Martin. And listen, what Glenn has been able to do in 40 months is absolutely phenomenal in the real estate and the leadership training areas. And we're going to talk to him about this as we're here to help you build, live, and sustain wealth. And we're excited for each week's opportunity to help you in that particular area. Well, you know, every week is our custom. We love to talk about some quote and a hot topic. Well, today we're gonna to forgo our hot topic and spend a little bit more time with Glenn, but we are gonna have our quote for the week and we're gonna have Malcolm do the quote. But before we do that, I'm gonna give opportunity for Aiden and Malcolm to say something to you. Go ahead, Aiden. Hey guys, welcome back for another week. Ready to talk about wealth. All right, go ahead, Malcolm. What's up, everybody? You can follow me on all social media at bmalcolm21. Uh, just trying to help everybody learn how to diversify their income the best way possible. All right. And as you know, you can connect with us in the description for this video. You'll be able to connect with all of us there as we're endeavoring to do everything we can to help you build, live, and sustain wealth. Well, we're going to get right into our quote for this week. Go ahead, Malcolm. Yeah, so the quote for this week is by Warren Buffett. I know you both know who that is. A lot of people do. One of the wealthiest people in the world. So uh, he said that if you don't find a way to make money while you sleep, you will work until you die. Uh, I'm saying one more time, if you don't find a way to make money while you sleep, you will work until you die. And uh, what that means to me is that creating passive income, money that you make while you're not working, is essential for you to not have to rely on your nine to five forever. Um, I think a lot of people need to hear this and realize that you can make money in your sleep, one, because that was something I didn't know was possible until earlier this year, and that, um, two, it's actually possible for you to do it enough so you can actually leave your job. So um, it's a powerful, powerful quote by a very wealthy man, so it's something I wanted to look at and definitely share with the world. That's really good. If you don't learn to make money while you sleep, you're going to have to work forever i'm probably paraphrasing the piece of it and that's very true because the reality is people get up every day to go to work and um finding something that you don't have to get up to go and do is essential something that is doing on its own it's doing its own work for you you don't have to put any more investment in time and that's what i keep hearing in that is that it won't require a consistent time investment. We've got 24 hours in a day. So Warren is saying we need to find something that's not taking minutes from us uh, that produces income for us. That is a tremendously good thing for every one of us to consider. And I hope that everyone listening or watching us today is considering that as well. Did you want to say something in that, Aiden? Yeah, for sure. So I was going to say like a lot of us uh, minorities or people who have immigrant parents, we're kind of trained that if you're not physically going to a job right like it's it's not work it's not money and um i you know warren buffett i'm not sure when he said this but he's been around for a while and that's something that um people who come from that household could take away right your job your um the work you do use that to create that passive income and making money while you sleep and making money while you're relaxing and that's how you get ahead we say it all the time on this podcast right you gotta have those other streams. Your job is not designed for you to get ahead and to become wealthy. But if you build these streams, make money while you sleep, it's an extra step that will get you in the right direction. 
I like it. Yeah. That's good. And that's essential and important. Uh, as you can hear in the quote that we're sharing with you on today, you've got to find a way to get into passive income. I always say it has something to do with how close you are to where the work is happening and stuff like that. Like passive income doesn't require my presence. And that's very, very important. Uh, and this quote is absolutely an encouragement to each one of us. If you want to build the kind of wealth that's going to give you the ability to have a, a greater amount of freedom, you've got to build the kind that doesn't require you to put in time uh, in order for it to be happening for you. And so with that, that's real, real good. We appreciate that today on uh, this podcast. I hope it's stirring something in your thinking to help you uh, realize a better way of operating and seeing your own future and you begin to do the things that can help you get there. Well, today, again, we're so excited to have our special guest with us, Glenn Martin. And we're gonna take a quick break right here. We're gonna come back and we're gonna introduce him and we're gonna have a time with him. We're gonna be right back after this. We'll get right back to you. Do you want to live wealthy and pass wealth on to your generations? If so, then you're probably aware that 95% of people 65 years of age are not financially independent. This is a depressing number when 100% of 25-year-olds say yes to our question of wanting to live wealthy. This is the reason Dwayne Youngblood launched Be Wealthy Too and why you should connect with them today. Be Wealthy Too believes living wealthy is the right of every human, but not the guarantee. They believe to live wealthy, you must eliminate all bad debt, establish good credit, begin an investment plan where you invest in either stocks, bonds, crypto, real estate, art, or some other asset that will put income in your pocket, all while living an authentic life. Once you connect with Be Wealthy 2 and Dwayne's team, you will be on your way to building, living, and sustaining a wealthy life. Well, welcome back to the Wealthy Life Podcast. So glad today to have with us our special guest, Glenn Martin. And let me just tell you this. Uh, it I said this earlier. It is absolutely, to me, phenomenal what Glenn has been able to do in the last 40 months. But in general, what he's been able to do in the last 21 years of life. I want to just introduce him a second and then give him a chance to more introduce himself to you as a whole. First of all, he's Glenn E. Martin. Uh, Glenn, strong person in the area of entrepreneurship, uh, investing in property, uh, refinancing, uh, helping people uh, navigate through uh, leadership, and in addition to that, navigating through uh, real estate investing. And so he's got businesses that help in those particular areas. Uh, he left prison 21 years ago. He served six years there and has built a tremendously uh, successful, a couple of successful organizations since that time. We'll get into that a little bit more, but we are so absolutely excited to have him share with us here on the Wealthy Life Podcast. I'm going to give an opportunity for him to do a more formal introduction of himself as he may choose. Go ahead, sir. Oh, I'm glad to be here, first of all. Um, I appreciate opportunities like this to really pour into other people. 
Um, a little bit more about me. Let me just add some uh, additional contours to what you shared. Um, did serve uh, six years before coming out uh, many, many years ago, over 20 years ago at this point. And like anyone else coming out the system, really just looking to land a job anywhere to keep my parole officer off my back. Uh, quickly found out that criminal record discrimination in this country is a surrogate for race-based discrimination. You really don't have to say, I don't hire black people. You could just say, I don't hire anyone with a criminal record. And given the disproportionate impact of the criminal justice system on people of color, you keep people like me out the labor market. And it was just fascinating to me how many employees I went to visit, about 50 within 30 days, that kept turning me down based solely on the criminal record. And that sort of gave birth to my entrepreneurial spirit, although some people might argue that when I was in the streets, I was pretty entrepreneurial too. We can talk about that. Um, so, you know, landed in nonprofit, didn't know much about nonprofit, uh, a nonprofit public interest law firm, learned how to do all the things it takes to be successful in nonprofit, particularly fundraising, but also marketing, communication, program development, and so on, board management. Uh, went through uh, about 17 years of nonprofits, including building my own from scratch, but built many programs along the way. And then in 2017, left nonprofit to start a consultancy called Gem Trainers, which helps other people to go from having a vision and a concept to brick and mortar, then built a real estate business, then invested in the sneaker business, and still looking at a couple other uh, investment opportunities, dabble a bit in crypto and other places. But as you can imagine, I'm just really trying to diversify. That's good. That's a solid uh, background and uh, a wealth of experience. And we're going to get into a few things here. So uh, one of the things that you uh, talked about in the information that we received on you, you began an organization called Just Leadership USA um, as you wanted to see the U.S. corrections population cut down. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your passion as it relates to seeing so many people be incarcerated and wanting to see those numbers decrease? Sure. Um, I have a son. His name is Joshua. He's going to be uh, 18 in 2030. And uh, one in three black men in the United States are probably going to be incarcerated by the age of 18. And so I wanted to build an organization that instilled a sense of the urgency of now for me. And so we proposed a very bold and audacious mission to cut the number of people under correctional supervision in half by 2030. Really, it was it was a deliberate sort of smack in the face of traditional nonprofits. I find nonprofits to be pretty lethargic and in the business of staying in business. And I wanted to create something that was actually in the business of putting itself out of business and had a sense of urgency and said out loud what its mission was as a way to really advance the field. The other thing I noticed is the more I became successful as a formerly incarcerated person is the more people pointed to me as just that, the exception. And the truth is I'm not exceptional. I was exposed to exceptional opportunities. I remember sitting with then Senator Jeff Sessions trying to get college back into prisons across the country. And at the end of what I thought was a pretty good conversation where I revealed to him that I earned a quality liberal arts degree while I was on the inside, he said, wow, I'm really amazed by that. I'm fascinated, et cetera, et cetera. But then he said, I'm not going to change a law just because a blind squirrel found a nut. Wow. And what he was, I know it was harsh and expected of a guy like Jeff Sessions, but it really instilled in me a sense of like, 
if I don't bring everybody else along with me, then all I do is reinforce the existing narrative. And so that was the other part of just leadership to invest in other people like me all across the country. And we did that for about 600 people. And I think the campaign everyone's most familiar with was the campaign to shut down Rikers Island in New York to get the city of New York to agree in writing uh, that Rikers was gonna close. Wow, that's powerful. That's uh, essential too. Because unfortunately, one of the things that I think sometimes does not get talked about a lot, if you've got that many men incarcerated that early, how many children are not being born to that same uh, race? And I think it has a way bigger impact than just the incarceration. It has an impact on birth rates and everything uh, as a whole. And uh, I believe sometimes we're not looking at the big picture of what mass incarceration, especially so heavily among African-American men, really the impact that that has. Have you, as you've looked at uh, the impact of incarceration as a whole over the years, uh, what have you noticed some of the things as far as generational impact, community impact that incarceration has had uh, even in the area of, of the ability of building wealth in community? What what are some of the things yeah. that you've, you've noticed? Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, a couple things come to mind. Um, one is anecdotal, which was uh, 26 years ago, being shipped upstate New York to Attica Correctional Facility and uh, spending a few months there and quickly realizing I was serving time in a prison where there were many fathers and sons in the same facility. In wow. one instance, even a father, a son, and a grandfather all in the same facility serving time. And it just became, although it's anecdotal, it became very apparent to me the generational impact of incarceration, particularly on people of color. But then when you think about what's called collateral consequences, like consequences that are doled out by institutions outside of the courts, right? You expect the courts to give out some sort of punishment. What people don't realize is that educational institutions, banking institutions, healthcare institutions, uh, you, na you name it, like all the other areas of life that it takes to be successful in this country, to build community, to build wealth, uh, all of those things are denied to people based on the scarlet letter of a criminal conviction. And, you know, I look at my children now, uh, my younger children, Sonny and Joshua, who are both in some of the most expensive private schools this country has to offer, learning Mandarin and, you know, schmoozing with children of extremely wealthy parents and so on. Like, it's clear to me that their outcomes are going to be different uh, then my older son, who's 26, he went into the military, you know, still struggling a bit, trying to sort of get it together. Like his outcomes obviously could have been a lot different had I been tracked into entrepreneurship versus, you know, the community I grew up in where most people were tracked right into prison. Wow. And that's that's a that's a serious uh, situation. Um now, one of the things, another thing that I want to, in this particular area, to ask you, what do you think is, where are we headed in the United States, you believe, as it relates to uh, incarceration and its effects and impacts on community? You know, where do you think we're, what's the temperature uh, that you get for where we are right now? Yeah, I think we're about to slip backwards considerably. And I know a lot of my progressive colleagues would push back on that, but... 
you know, it's really interesting. You know, I always like to be intellectually honest about the work that I do and, and try not to be partisan whatsoever. Um, and the truth is that it was George Bush, President Bush, during the State of the Union address in 2006, who said, when the gates of our prisons open up, people deserve a second chance. And that really was the beginning of the effort to reform our criminal justice system, which was 16 years ago, if you will. And uh, progressive advocates have really taken the lead and tried to do so, but also worked with more conservative players. But as you can imagine, the country over that 16 years has become more and more tribal. And while this is an area where people were willing to collaborate to try to uh, create reform, um, I would argue that what we accomplished was pretty damn incremental, considering it's been 16 years and by my calculation, easily a billion dollars of investment by places like Ford Foundation, Arnold Foundation, uh, the, the Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, you know, very well-intentioned, wealthy, elite, progressive, white, mostly Americans. Um, but the problem is that, you know, arguably that same money is, is tainted and benefits from the system we currently have. And I'll give you a concrete example, just so I'm not uh, speaking uh, in, in sort of vagaries, if you will. Uh, when I was trying to get money from the Soros Foundation to shut down Rikers Island, uh, I was told that George Soros was a heavy investor in Mayor de Blasio at the time. And if you know anything about Mayor de Blasio, about the only thing that's progressive about him is his rhetoric. Um, there's just no action behind it, no substance. And to have one of the largest criminal justice foundations tell me like, hey, we got skin in the game around him being mayor, so we can't support you to close down a torture island that's in the backyard of one of the most progressive mayors in the country. It just was a jolt for me. And then I've seen multiple versions of this. So I guess what I'm saying is, you know, the, the revolution will not be funded by philanthropy, that's for sure. And then here we are now, crime is on the rise. Violent crime is on the rise. And you've seen me talk about it on social media. Mm -hmm. And you probably have also seen my progressive colleagues try mm -hmm. to push back on me, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, don't talk about crime being on the rise. It's only it's only murders. Yeah, guess what? If you live in a hood, that that matters, you know? And 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 unfortunately the way philanthropy is structured and the way nonprofits are structured, everyone's looking for the hero and everyone's looking for the heroic story to tell. And now that we're slipping backwards and there's actually real life danger and loss of life, particularly in poor uh, communities of color, most of the progressive white leadership in that space are not willing to cede any ground, at least rhetorically, on the fact that we're slipping backwards. And for me, we can do work to have a more fair, humane, and balanced criminal justice system and still admit that Black folks are getting killed left and right, and we need better solutions. And this is a hard thing to say, but the fact of the matter is that during the Trump administration, I actually saw way more of my Black colleagues and friends advance entrepreneurially um, and benefit from that administration, putting aside, if you can, uh, for a second, the sort of racism and everything else that we could obviously point to and, and lean into and have a meaningful discussion about. But the fact is, the progressive left has yet to step up in the way that that particular, administ particular administration stepped up financially and entrepreneurially during that time. And that's good because that sounds balanced and very, very fair assessment uh, that you're making. I'm going to take a quick break. We're going to come back because Glenn is not just a person who has spent this kind of time in and observing and trying to help and correct the uh, 
correctional institutions across this country, but Glenn has created some businesses that I believe if people can plug in, they become an absolute solution. And so when we come on the other side of this break, we're going to come back and talk to him about what he has been doing to help change the whole uh, picture for people of color and just people in general. We'll be right back after this. I recently heard an alarming statistic that five out of every 100 people at age 65 will be financially independent. That's a horrible statistic when at age 25, all 100 said they wanted to be. The reason this is, is that many people want to go somewhere they do not know how to get there. Well, the Wealthy Life Masters has been created specifically to help you build, live, and sustain a wealthy life. We're gonna do that by helping you get out of all bad debt, using good debt to build wealth, establishing good credit with credit scores of 750 and above. We're gonna help you implement an investment plan where you're investing in stocks, bonds, crypto, artwork, businesses, real estate, all the things that are going to put income into your life, all while living authentically as yourself. Well, if you would like to be one of those five who are financially independent when they're 65, come on and connect with the Wealthy Life Masters. You'll find that connection in the description for this podcast. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Well, welcome back to the Wealthy Life Podcast, and we've got our special guest with us today, and we're just listening. We're kind of listening in. I'm just asking a couple questions because Glenn has so much to offer, uh, not only to this podcast, but he's done stuff. Uh, he's been on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, Al Jazeera, C-SPAN, and here he is with the Wealthy Life Podcast, and we're so excited to have him with us here on today. I want to talk about an organization of business. It is a, a nonprofit consultancy uh, business that he started, Jim uh, Trainers. And I want him to tell us a little bit about it and what was his reason for starting it and what it does. And just give us a little bit about that and we'll go on from there. Go ahead, sir. Sure, I appreciate that. So after spending 17 years in a nonprofit state space, um, I had a bit of a jolt to my career, if you will. I had sort of a rude awakening about uh, people around me and how the work is actually done. Things were demystified for me in a way that was pretty jolting to my career. What I decided in that moment, because what I noticed was that when people wanted to harm me, they came after my income. And mm. I think that that's what people do in this country. If people want to cripple you, they come after your income. And I decided coming off of that, that I needed to have more control over my income, uh, how much came in, how diverse it was, et cetera, et cetera, because I saw how vulnerable I was, particularly as an advocate in pulling a salary with a board over me, and et cetera, et cetera. And so I created Gem Trainers. And, you know, as someone who's hired many, many, many consultants over the years, I'll be the first person to say I'm no fan of consultants. And so I built my consultancy in a way that's sort of the anti-consultancy consultancy. Most of my clients would say, oh, Glenn's on the team. Glenn is one of us. Glenn's part of our leadership. I just got back from Seattle on a red eye this morning, hanging out with one of my clients. And it's three of them in a room and me. And every time I talk, I say the three of us, even though there's four of us sitting in the room. Um, because I want them to feel as if I'm part of the leadership team and I want to show up as part of the leadership team, which means that I don't just come in, give them some good tips and disappear. Literally, when they're in crisis in particular, 
that is when I show up the most. And so that's part of what my consultancy does. I help people to fundraise. I help people do organizational development. I do uh, executive leadership coaching. But most importantly, I do crisis management. As someone who's been through a tremendous amount of crisis, whether it's the time I served in prison or the destabilization of my career a few years ago or other things that have happened along the way, I'm someone who has uh, not just you know been on the mountaintop, but spent also a lot of time in the valley. And you spend enough time in the valley, you start to realize that that really is where you build character and mm-hmm. build your leadership skills and mm-hmm. so on. And that's where I honed the principles I use when I think about leadership. And so I have about seven or eight clients on any given day, um, eight subcontractors who work with me. And so I provide most of the sort of high level thought partnership to help people be successful. These are people who are trying to change the world, change their communities, change individuals' lives. And so I get the pleasure of being able to choose my clients at this point. It's a very successful uh, nonprofit consultancy. I turn down probably twice as much business as I take on. And I get the benefit of working with seven or eight organizations that are doing uh, anything from high level policy advocacy think tank work around criminal justice reform to street level anti-violence initiatives in Detroit. And and it runs the gamut. And my team and I uh, work like a well-oiled machine. I'm sort of built a certain way, like I'm very into delivering a valuable product, a product that would work for me if I were running an organization. And so I hire people that also mirror that. I always say A managers hire A managers Mm -hmm. and B managers hire C managers. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very much an A manager and I hire smart people who have an engine and who own the outcome and I'll let them rock and roll and get their work done. That's good. That's real exciting. So the uh, gym trainers uh, aspect of what you have in your, the nonprofit, you're saying you exclusively are looking for businesses to consult with that are kind of like changing the game or how do you uh, target or specifically um, connect with, Uh, organizations what specifically does gym trainers look for in a client yeah i appreciate that um so all of them are nonprofits. anywhere from a man or a woman standing there holding a concept paper saying i think i want to build this thing and i have no clue what to do next to nonprofits that have been around for 20 years have 100 people on staff and are just facing some sort of lethargy in their practices, feeling as though they need to evolve, they need to sort of catch up with the times and so on. So it really runs the gamut. What I look for are people who live out their values. Like I look at their mission, I get a sense of whether I'm interested in the mission. And then I ask myself after meeting with them, talking to them, engaging them, whether these are people who not only uh, uh, expound on what their values are to sort of get the attention of uh, funders and so on, but people who really live out their values. That's really important to me. And if you take a look at an organization and how it's structured and ask the right questions, you can really have a good sense of whether people are instilling their values in the DNA of the organization or not. That's really good. That's really good. So in the uh, years that you've had gym trainers in existence, what would you say internally are some of the things that you're most uh, proud of as far as what the organization the nonprofit has been able to do. And I'm not necessarily speaking about specific companies, but just yeah. in general. Yeah, well, I'm gonna start with one that people don't like to talk about, which drives me crazy, but in nonprofit, if you can't raise money, you can't do it. 
And so in four short years, I've helped clients raise over $50 million. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a person who's raised about $100 million myself over the last 17 years before I started this consultancy. But just over the last four years alone, I've helped clients raise upwards of about $50 million. And of oh. course, that's different for different clients. But that really is the uh, gas in the engine of nonprofit work. Like I always say, you got you to gotta feed the baby. Like here's a free piece of here, here's free game for folks watching. If you're gonna build a nonprofit, first thing you hire is admin so that you make sure that you're right-sizing your involvement in the work and your talents and your gifts. And the second thing you hire is a development person, someone who's fundraising because you, somebody's gotta be thinking about feeding the baby all day long. Those are the first two hires. I say that to all of my clients. Uh, it's just a truism in the nonprofit space. So that's one thing is, you know, can people raise the money to move their vision forward? I'd say the second thing is investing in leaders. I'm a person who uh, uses three principles, uh, leadership principles in all of my practices, whether it's the consultancy, real estate, the sneaker business, um, which is uh, one responsibility. Like you really can't control other people's behavior, but you can take responsibility for the outcomes you're helping to produce in a relationship. That is one thing you can focus on and take uh, accountability for. The second thing is to uh, solicit feedback as a way to grow your leadership. Find other leaders around you who believe in you and who you trust and ask them for feedback about how you're doing. And when they give that feedback, don't try to explain why you did what you did. Just say, thank you, is there anything else? Mm -hmm. And then thirdly, uh, the one I wanted to point to mostly is collective leadership. So I believe that leaders need to spend 99% of their time investing in other leaders. Like, don't worry about how you're showing up as a leader. If you invest in the leadership of others, you'll be just fine. And instead of what instead of what most leaders do, which is they go out, they find leaders who uh, impress them, who they're interested in, and then they try to emulate. Yeah. And that is not uh, a way to um, advance yourself into leadership and emerge into leadership. The best way is to just uh, bring really smart, talented people around you who in some ways could end up taking your job one day and invest in them as leaders. And the more you do that, the more all ships rise together in my experience. So the other thing I get out of my consultancy that I value the most is when I see leaders that I started investing in a couple of years ago now as candidates for executive director positions, board memberships, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that's that's the other thing I get out of the nonprofit consultancy that I really value. That's good. Now, is, it, is there any through your nonprofit consultancy company uh, or personally, and I don't want to get into the real estate piece just yet, but is there anything in this area that has a component that deals with the leadership of the younger uh, community, the 18-year-old, the 20-year-old, the, the one that's still in college? Are you touching anything in those areas? Yeah, so I appreciate that question. I have one client uh, that runs a business that trains young people between the ages of 18 and 24 to uh, enter the hospitality industry. So they do, they have a very bi-directional approach. They train young people who've been incarcerated to be successful in the hospitality industry, primarily mm -hmm. restaurants. And then on the flip side of it, they teach restaurants how to not be racist and how mm -hmm. to not structure their business where they have all the color, people of color in the back and all the white people up front. So it's very bi-directional. In some ways they're doing structural advocacy to change the, the industry and they're investing in the talent of some of these young people. Having said that, however, the research says that people who are involved in criminal behavior, people who are doing the wrong thing, people who are going in the wrong direction, actually lose their appetite for risk around their mid-30s. 
And so I don't want to let go of those folks either. Like there is something to be said for like, if people are on a track of doing the wrong thing and we know that around mid thirties, they start saying, wait a minute, I don't have any more time to give to the state. Like we should also capture those folks. So I spend a lot of time with folks between the ages of 35 to about 55 also. And I just generally believe that human beings are like, how do I say this? Um, I don't believe in good people and bad people. I believe in people, people mm -hmm. who do good and bad things, mm -hmm. depending on the day of the week, depending on the week of the year, depending on the month of the year. Um, and so I really try my best to, yes, recognize that if you can you know, capture a young person, you can save them from a lifetime of grief and harm. But at the same time, I also uh, always want to be careful to recognize that as long as people have breath, they have the ability to turn things around. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Now, we're going to be talking about your real estate piece in just a moment. But before we get to that, um, I want to, in this area where we're talking about change, and stuff, could you just give us a bit of understanding for yourself personally? How did you get the depth that we hear coming from you uh, today? What did you, was it in prison? Was it prior to prison? Was it since you've been out of prison? Where did you get the, and I hope I'm clear enough when I say depth of uh, your character, your sense of what you value, where does this really come from for you? So and it comes across so loud and so strong. Where did that come from? Yeah, thanks for that. Um, it comes from suffering. It comes from suffering. I wish I could say it comes from a tremendous amount of success. I've had a lot of success, but I've also had a lot of suffering. And those are the moments where I try to show up as my best self, as a person who can wield power in many different ways, even when I'm suffering, even when people are coming for me. Um, I recognize that the ability to stand on my square in the most emotional moments and to do the right thing that's going to benefit me and people around me in the long term is the kind of discipline it takes to excel as a leader. Um, and so it really is that sort of emotional intelligence and ability to control my emotion in some of the most difficult situations that has made me valuable, not just to myself, but to uh, my clients also. And it really does come from, as I said earlier, being in the valley. The other thing about being in the valley is, valley is that it's a great time to tell who your friends really are. <laughs> I talked earlier about talking to people who really believe in you to seek feedback, right? I don't believe in seeking feedback from people who are being malicious or don't really care about you, but you want to find a way to figure out who really loves you and cares yeah. about you and is going to stand yeah. with you. Look up in the middle of crisis because the wheat separates from the chaff very quickly during those moments. And so the depth that you're hearing comes from um, those moments and using those moments because every time I end up in another crisis situation, there's a parallel to my incarceration. My incarceration was obviously sort of like the bottom of a dark well, but there are other times when people throw me down the well, or I throw myself down the well, and I'm like, oh, I recognize this place. And this is actually a moment of opportunity. Wow. Like in the, in the dark is where I find some of my best opportunities to grow. Phenomenal, phenomenal answer. Appreciate yeah. it. We're gonna take another break and we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about not only another business that, uh, Glenn has begun, but we're going to talk about how you can also be involved in what he is doing. We'll be right back after this. Do you want to live wealthy and pass wealth on to your generations? If so, then you're probably aware that 95% of people 65 years of age are not financially independent. 
This is a depressing number when 100% of 25-year-olds say yes to our question of wanting to live wealthy. This is the reason Dwayne Youngblood launched Be Wealthy 2 and why you should connect with them today. Be Wealthy 2 believes living wealthy is the right of every human, but not the guarantee. They believe to live wealthy, you must eliminate all bad debt, establish good credit, begin an investment plan where you invest in either stocks, bonds, crypto, real estate, art, or some other asset that will put income in your pocket, all while living an authentic life. Once you connect with Be Wealthy 2 and Dwayne's team, you will be on your way to building, living, and sustaining a wealthy life. Welcome back to the Wealthy Life Podcast. We're here with our guest, Glenn Martin. And I mean, he's providing so much uh, value for us. And I hope you're uh, benefiting from it, just like we are here uh, with him. I like to ask a question because I connected with Glenn on Twitter. And one day I happened to follow him and I noticed like real quickly, he followed me back. He didn't know me from a can of paint. And I just wanted to ask you a question uh, as we're going to transition to talking about Jim uh, real estate and all that you're doing in that particular area. Is it your practice to follow back everyone who follows you on Twitter? You know, that's a really good question. I appreciate it. In some ways, it's a great segue into the real estate conversation because you know, I have uh, been an advocate for a couple of decades now, and what people tend to do with advocates is to lionize them, make them bigger than life, make them into a hero. And the problem with doing that is that people lose their humanity in the middle of all that. Um, and so what I have found is that there are no big eyes and little views. And so my real estate advisor, when we get into this real estate conversation, is someone who also followed me on Twitter. He had 46 followers himself. I had about 30,000. And I still followed him back and he went into my DMs and he said, wow, I've never seen a guy with a criminal record talk so much crap online like you do. He was like, I want to get to know you. He was like, most people like you go hide in the shadows. And you know what? I looked at I looked at his bio. I saw he was into real estate. I knew I wanted to get into real estate and that I was already dabbling wow. a little bit. Man, wait till I tell you the rest of that story, though. Feel free to ask another question, but I'll keep going down the road of how yeah. my man Jay and I hooked up on Twitter and what that has done for my uh, real estate business. That's good. Well, we see one of the things that's uh, true. Now, we've talked about uh, Just Leadership USA, which uh, he was the president of uh, for three years. Uh, but he built this as a tribute to his son as he explained that greatly to us. We talked about Jim Trainers. Uh, his nonprofit, where he spends time helping other nonprofits succeed, raising money, the things that are necessary. And I'm going to talk about Jim Real Estate because in the last 40 months, I, I'm going to throw this out there and we'll, we'll go around with several things here. But in the last 40 months, uh, you've been able to amass 55 properties, three and a half years, starting with $50,000. And so I want to talk because, again, we're here to help people build, live, and sustain wealth. And, and we've talked so much about, to me, what is really your character and what you value and how you help others and how you've lifted other businesses. But you're a businessman. And um, I really want to talk about that side, the Jim uh, Real Estate. You want to talk to us a little bit about Jim Real Estate and what you've been able to accomplish with it and talk us about your uh, advisor as well. Sure, I appreciate that. Um, so 
you know, building gem. You know, you have a lot of people that say, I want to get into real estate. Uh, you know, if I had a dollar for everyone that said that, I wouldn't have to invest in real estate. And I was one of those people, if I'm being honest. And um, at a moment of, you know, once I saw Gem Trainers was stabilized as a business and earning revenue and really got me beyond the point where I was earning a salary, I was confident that I could move on and give a huge percentage of myself to this new business. People look at the three businesses now and they think I started them all at the same time. That's one piece of advice I'd give your followers is like, try to give 110% of yourself to any one thing you're doing. And that way, even if it doesn't work out, you're able to say, okay, I gave my all to that thing and try to really stagger the things that you're trying to do. And so once I got Gem Trainer stabilized, got into Gem Real Estate, and you know, there's a lesson I learned many years ago. I helped someone in the nonprofit space build a $43 million supportive and affordable housing building in Harlem. And when we were done five years later, we stood in front of that building, which used to be a parking lot and now housed people who desperately needed housing. And I said to this uh, Yale educated lawyer who ran a nonprofit. I said, look, you're amazing. Clearly you've done all these other things in life, but how did you know how to do this? Like this was so complicated, so unique, so many different funding sources, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just waiting as if I'm sort of talking to the Oracle in the matrix for like this amazing answer. And she looks up at the building and she looks at me, she looks back at the building and then she says, I just faked it till I figured it out. Wow. And I was like, wow, what a moment where like someone demystified for me, like what leadership looks like. Like we tend to look at leaders and get all caught up in the sort of romanticized version of them, not realizing that they're humans and they're trying to figure it out. And so when I built Gem Real Estate, similarly, I was sitting at home trying to figure out what's next. I started looking at some podcasts online about real estate, namely biggerpockets.com. So I was listening to the verbiage, learning some of the language. I started out investing the way you would buy your own home, not realizing I wasn't doing the right thing. But still, I amassed a few properties, about 10 properties doing it that way, until I really came to the conclusion, wait a minute, banks don't really want me you to own real estate. Like banks are not in the business of lending for real estate in any meaningful way. And so, as I said, I met Jay on Twitter and here's this guy on Twitter with 46 followers in my DM telling me he wants to talk to me about real estate. Wow. He was, he was just home from prison a year. He was on home confinement. He had electronic monitoring bracelet around his ankle, but he knew more than me about something. And I have come to realize in my life that if you talk to three people that know more than you about something, the truth is somewhere in between those three. You can pull your truth out, but always find three people that know more than you and always ask people for twenty a 20 minute informational interview. I find that if you ask busy people for a 20 minute interview, they will recognize quickly that you understand how busy they are and more likely than not, they'll give you those 20 minutes. And so Jay gave me some of his time. We talked about real estate and he said, look, you've done a great job. You have a great portfolio. It's actually full of equity. So I'm going to actually take help you take it to the next level. We're going to use that existing equity that you've created either by putting your resources in or by the fact that the Savannah market, which I picked, which I'd love to talk about in a second, actually matured considerably within like two years. So I'm two years in without him. And then here he comes a year ago or so. And man, I bought 40 houses in the last 12 months because of him. You know, I learned how to use other people's money. I learned how to get portfolio loans. I learned how to go in with uh, riskier loans uh, from private lenders and then flip over to uh, more stabilized loans over 30 years. I learned the Burr method, buy, renovate, rent, 
uh, refinance, repeat. And it's become a bit routinized for me now, but uh, Jay and I are still together. He's my advisor. We have a great relationship. And look, ask questions because I can talk about so many things related to real estate. I could go on and on. As you see, I light up around real estate. But I'll tell you why I light up around real estate, actually. And it's hard for people to wrap their heads around this. I'm going to tie real estate back to what we talked about earlier. Real estate gives me the FU money I need to speak my mind. As a black man, it is difficult to speak your mind in this country without paying consequences. Real estate has given me the income to do so. I was just stuck in the airport yesterday with a late flight, and I noticed the uh, American Express Centurion Lounge. I've never been there before, and I walked up to the lounge, and the woman was like, oh, you need an Amex card. I got five Amex cards in my wallet, two platinum, one gold, one green, one blue. And I was like, choose one. <laughs> and like, wealth, wealth opens up doors, but it also allows you to speak your mind. And as an advocate, I want to be able to speak my mind with the least amount of repercussions. So for me, real estate still ties back to uh, social justice work. Although, as you said, I've always been a businessman. So even when I work in the social justice space, the ability to go from getting the mayor of New York to laugh at us saying, oh, poo-pooing us, ha-ha, you want to close Rikers, whatever, to 12 months later having him on his knees begging us to leave him alone because he's going to close Rikers. Like, that's what businessmen do. Like, I took a businessman's approach to social justice. And as you can imagine, I'm still applying that now to real estate. But go for it. Ask me questions. Yeah. So as we look at the real estate, and I'll talk uh, some of what you've done in the last year. You said 40 um, properties. Now, as the gym real estate business itself, uh, I know you do the purchasing. And you mentioned savannah so I'm, I'm in georgia i've seen on twitter uh you're heading down uh to savannah i've seen on twitter you're coming back uh why did you pick that area uh at the time that you picked it yeah man savannah is an entrepreneurship success story and a terrible broken-hearted love story um i had a partner a few years ago um someone who i was deeply in love with and she wanted a second home uh and she said uh let's go to a couple of different cities to check out which city we might want to have a second home in and we visited three different places and when we got to savannah she was in love with savannah for all the reasons most people love savannah it's historic it's beautiful the architecture is beautiful it's a walking city it has a river um it has a huge park in the middle of it like central park in new york there's so many reasons um, aesthetically to love Savannah, historically to love Savannah. I didn't see enough black folks. That's the problem I had with Savannah. Like the Cotton Exchange still exists on River Street in the historic district in Savannah. And I did not see enough black professionals living in that city. And that lit a fire under me. And I said to myself, okay, well, I want to purchase my home smack dead in the middle of the historic district. And I did. Uh, Whitaker Street is like, you can't get more central than Whitaker Street in the historic district. So that was the first place I purchased. Then I placed, I purchased another place a few blocks away on Whitaker. And then I purchased a place on Tybee Island, which is sort of their getaway island if you live in Savannah. And then I realized that I also was making the mistake of not paying enough attention to the hood. And I went on the other side of Martin Luther King Boulevard, like most cities, and I started getting to know that neighborhood. And I came up with a formula that allows me to purchase distressed properties, mostly from filthy slumlords, fix up those properties, 
rent those properties either usually for the same amount of persons paying before I took over the property or by moving them on to Section 8 or some other subsidy that would cover their rent and then still refinance out, make money, and most importantly, give people a place to live where they can uh, like hold on to their dignity. Some of these places I purchased, like, it's sickening to me. As someone who grew up poor, as someone who's been running from poverty all his life, as someone who grew up on Section 8, like, it just turns my stomach to see how some of these mostly white foreign investors have purchased up thousands of homes in the South, rent them to poor people of color, and literally don't give them a home where they could come home to and rest their heads and feel safe and so on. And actually, I have learned that you can do that and still make money. Maybe I cut into my margins a little bit, but for me, the ability to blend what I call black capitalism with the ability to do social justice work at the same time is important to me. And so that is when I really went to town, not just in Savannah, but hopped over to Birmingham, hopped over to Montgomery, and now looking at Kansas City and a couple other places. Like I really want to figure out how we can sort of undo decades and decades, if not centuries, of uh, disinvestment in communities of color. That's beautiful. And uh, to see you going after it 100, I mean, really going after it, because I noticed you having to jump on airplanes to go and do this work. Uh, so it's got to be somewhat expensive to be in New York and to be building an empire in other states. Tell me how, yeah. that, how that has worked out for you. So, you know, I spend a lot of time building my brand and I'm just about to shatter it right here in this one sentence, which is most times when I'm going to Savannah, I'm going to chill out. I'm going to, I'm going to hang out. I'm going to vacation. I'm going to get some good food. The truth is I purchased those 40 properties in the middle of the pandemic sitting in my living room. Um, I don't show up at closings. I do mail away closings. Um, I haven't seen about 35 of my properties. I haven't ever. I haven't seen about 35 out of 55 properties. And I try to help people understand it this way. If you bought Coca-Cola stock, you would not show up at the Coca-Cola headquarters and say, show me those stock certificates, right? Like you're, you just trust that there's value there. You have a sense of how to invest, how to watch the market, when to buy, when to sell. So similarly with real estate, I know what I'm looking for. And when you're buying real estate, people, you kind of build teams and you don't actually, people sort of get paid as part of the process. So, so your real estate agent obviously is interested in closing the deal and closing other deals. Um, the management company is obviously interested in managing the property once you close the deal. Contractor is interested in doing the contract work once the deal is closed. Um, so there's all these different players involved in real estate purchasing and buy and hold, which is what I'm doing, where like I have teams of people who go out and each do a different piece of what I need done to give me the confidence that I'm purchasing a property of value. And I've only screwed up twice. And the twice when I've screwed up, I didn't lose money. I just didn't make the kind of money I wanted to make. That is absolutely. So let's let me hear this one more time. So about 35 pieces of property out of the 40 you've never even seen. Is that what you just said? I have never seen those properties. I mean, I have my partner, Jay, who sometimes goes down and meets the tenants and he's bought them Thanksgiving dinners. And yeah, he does that because he travels across the South a lot. I literally spend most of my time in New York. And when I go to Savannah, I go on vacation. Sometimes I don't even go drive over and look at my properties. People get confused. I don't get calls about toilets. I don't get calls about, you know, broken locks and broken windows and all that sort of stuff. I build into, you know, you make money in real estate when you buy real estate. 
I want people to hear this. Not when you sell. You can potentially make money when you sell. But you want to be good in real estate, you need to find the money when you're going in, when you're making the purchase. And so I know how much money I'm going to make on real estate when I'm going into it, unless there's some huge issue that goes wrong, like some sort of sewage pipe or something like that. And so I say all that to say, I build in all of my expenses from day one before I even make an offer. And part of that, what I build into that equation is 10% for management. And so from the day I close on a deal from my living room, usually with a notary public showing up at my door to sign documents, um, the key goes from my lawyer to the management company. And that's it. I don't see the property. Now, is this what you were advised to do? You figured this out a wrong way, a hard way. How did you get into this method of doing your uh, real estate development, which has given you the ability to do 40 properties in 12 months. Yeah, I, I thought I was going to buy 12 properties this year. I bought 40. Um, none of us are in jeopardy of mastering anything. This is a good moment to say that. I want people to hear that. None of us are in jeopardy of mastering anything, which means that I've failed my way to success over and over. It's easy to look at me and be like, oh, yeah, do this, figure it out. No, dude has failed his way into figuring it out. And I'm going to continue to fail my way into figuring it out. And so, no, the first 10 or so properties I purchased, I mean, literally, I was showing up at people's houses and knocking on their doors and telling them who I am or complaining about them, whatever. It was just insane. I didn't know what I was doing. I did not know what I was doing. But... I was open to people teaching me and I was open to listening and I was open to speaking to multiple people who were more successful than I am to try to get there. I mean, my goal, I have a very specific goal. That's the other thing. I'm very goal driven. And so I am always five years ahead of myself. And I want your listeners to hear that also. Like if you don't have a vision of where you're going, it is difficult for people to follow you there. Like you need to be able to, so when my partner, Jay, if he was sitting here next to me now, and I would say, Jay, where am I going? He'd say, you want a million gross per year. You're at about half a million now, right? Yes. He knows that. We can change that goal once we hit that goal. But right now he knows half a million gross, a million dollars gross is where I want to end up. So now he's trying to figure out how many doors I need to get there. How many of them are going to be um, the type of purchases I just mentioned with his renovation? But how many of them are just going to be literally turnkey? where we purchase the property and it's already generating income and we just put it as part of the portfolio. But more importantly, the point I'm trying to make here is everyone around me understand Glenn's goal on real estate. That's good. So your, your style is clearly team-centered with everything that you do. Can you take a moment to just speak on why you believe a team-centered approach is the way to lead? Yeah. Uh, no one's successful. You know, if you, if you, if you, if you meet a turtle on top of a pole, he did not get there by himself. <laughs> like people put turtles on top of poles. Like if I, if you met me on the top of a pole, I didn't get there by myself. I've done nothing in my life successfully by myself, except maybe be the initial visionary. That is one thing that I do well. Like I choose big, hairy, audacious goals. And I find that if you can hold on to that goal long enough, to figure out who around you believes in it and believes in you, those are the people you want to take with you. Because most people are like, yeah, whatever, dude thinks he's gonna get 50 houses in, you know, whatever, 36 months, yeah, whatever. Then there's some people that's like, you know, if you get 36, maybe we can get 100 in that time. Like, let's go on this journey together. Those are the people I want to go on the journey with. But it doesn't work if you don't uh, figure out what the vision is, figure out how to articulate it, 
hold on to it and keep believing in it, even when people say to you, that's not going to happen. First time I said we should close Rikers, I was in, first time I said we should close Rikers, I was in front of a group of about 150 of my colleagues, and at least five of them afterwards walked over to me and pulled my coat and said, you should never say that again. That's just never going to happen. Like, you're embarrassing yourself saying that. Like, that place is not going to close down. Too much money, blah, blah, whatever. And you know what? That reinforced for me that I chose an ambitious enough goal. That's right. So, like, I know where I'm going. I know I'm probably going to a thousand doors. Right now, the goal is a million dollars gross. That's probably just going to be two and a half times where I am now. I know, you know what? I have seen some of the people I purchased from who have 3,000 doors, 5,000 doors. They don't even live in the United States. And they got there. They got there. So why can't I, as a black man, get there also? And more importantly, or equally important, and you sort of alluded to this earlier, I'm taking my people with me. Like I do coaching on real estate. And the hardest time I have when I do coaching on real estate is people thinking I'm going to turn around and ask them for more money when I'm finished, because that's what most people do. Like real estate coaches, they sort of lure you in with an inexpensive coaching call. And then they're like, well, if you give me $30,000, I'll give you my, you know, college on real estate purchasing. I don't have that. I don't have that. All I got is like sharp end of the axe truth. Like, so I get people on the coaching call. I talk to them for an hour. I tell them the truth. I tell them the good, the bad, the ugly. And then if they have enough resources and enough will, I connect them to my man, Jay, and they're off to the races. Like I've made at least 12 millionaires in the last three years already. That's good stuff. I started out doing webinars and now between me and Jay, like I've seen Jay take people from their first 80 or $100,000 investment to having equity worth a million dollars in less than a year. Wow. And so I'm, ta- I'm taking people with me. That's the, that's the main thing. I mean, every once in a while, white folks jump on my coaching calls too, but. I'm mostly I'm mostly focused on leaders of color, like taking them with me and giving them the kind of uh, independence that comes with wealth that I'm starting to enjoy. That's good. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to take our final break here with uh, Glenn, because what I want to do when we come back, we're going to talk specifically how Glenn and you can connect in ways that are beneficial for what we have heard uh, on today. And this has been phenomenal. We'll be right back after this. I recently heard an alarming statistic that five out of every 100 people at age 65 will be financially independent. That's a horrible statistic when at age 25, all 100 said they wanted to be. The reason this is is that many people want to go somewhere they do not know how to get there. Well, the Wealthy Life Masters has been created specifically to help you build, live, and sustain a wealthy life. We're gonna do that by helping you get out of all bad debt, using good debt to build wealth, establishing good credit with credit scores of 750 and above. We're gonna help you implement an investment plan where you're investing in stocks, bonds, crypto, artwork, businesses, real estate, all the things that are going to put income into your life, all while living authentically as yourself. Well, if you would like to be one of those five who are financially independent when they're 65, come on and connect with the Wealthy Life Masters. You'll find that connection in the description for this podcast. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Well, welcome back again to the Wealthy Life Podcast. If you've been with us today, this has been one of the most impactful times that we've had here with Glenn Martin. He has shared so much his journey. Uh, we've heard, we've felt his character. We felt his sense of value. Certainly, his concern for people of color who are 
sometimes maligned uh, in various places, and he's bringing him along. One of the things he's just been recently talking to us about is his business, Jim Real Estate, and that's G-E-M Real Estate. I want to give him a moment because he's uh, offering one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions. Now, I'm, I mean, he can speak this for himself, but I'm certain he's, it's not about an issue of wasting his time or your time, but I'm sure there may be someone watching this or listening to this who has heard something from Glenn and you would love an opportunity to connect with him personally to build what's in your heart as it relates to real estate or maybe even as it relates to your nonprofit. But I wanna give um, Glenn an opportunity to talk to us about what he offers, how you go about getting connected to him to uh, become a part of what he offers. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, about six houses into my real estate journey, I realized that I was starting to learn the ins and outs of real estate and wanted other people like me who had been saying for years they want to get into real estate to better understand how to sort of uh, dig in there. And I started these webinars and I'd get about 10 or 15 people joining the webinars. And I thought that was valuable for people at least to sort of plant the seed of uh, what it is I do and what they could potentially do to get into real estate. But I realized people needed more. People needed a, a sort of more confidential private setting where they could ask the kind of questions that they were maybe too embarrassed to ask in front of a larger audience. And I started offering coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching. And so, you know, my time is valuable. Uh, and for these coaching sessions, which are an hour, I charge $750 an hour, which is actually the low end of what I charge for my time if you look across my businesses. But for your listeners, uh, if they're interested, I do it for a third less. So I do it for $500 if people are interested. And here's what people get. People get me on the phone, not a representative, me, and we sit there and I walk them through like they're a five-year-old child, with all due respect, mm -hmm. how I got into real estate, where I did well, where I did poorly, what I have learned, what works for me, what are the other options uh, outside of my approach. And then more importantly, by the end of the call, people are usually fired up, want to get into real estate, maybe even have the resources to get in right away. But then they say, I don't know if I can replicate that by myself. And I have a solution for that. Like my advisor, Jay, who we talked about earlier, uh, actually connects with people and walks them through the entire process. He will show them multiple properties for them to consider. He will help them understand the numbers, what they stand to make if they invest in the property. He will help them uh, uh, rehabilitate the properties, uh, renovate them. He will help them find a tenant. He will help them find a management company. He will help them find insurance. He literally will walk them from beginning to end. And I've had people that have done that with him three or four times and then said, okay, I think I can do this myself. And I have other people that are on their 10th, 11th, 15th, 20th property with him at this point. But what people do with me in the beginning is they get sharp end of the axe information about what it is I did to get from $50,000 in the bank and $700,000 in debt to where I am today. I just wrote a check yesterday for $200,000 to someone. That is more than I've ever made in a year in my entire life. And these days I'm writing checks for more than I would have made in an entire year. And it's only three years later and I'm totally out of debt except for good debt, which is like my, my mortgage debt. And, and so, so that's, that's what people, people get if they invest. invest. So, so they, they should, should visit me, you know, if you're on Twitter, which is where I spend a lot of my time, people should check me out at Glenn E. Martin, G-L-E-N-N, 
E-M-A-R-T-I-N. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at that very same name. But if people want something a bit more sort of uh, professional and intimate, they can go to gemtrainers.com. And there's a contact form there that comes directly to my email. And people should just jump in. Don't worry about how you craft a message. Don't waste your time. Speak to me plain speak. I'm from the hood. Like I can... I'll process it. I'll get back to you. I get back to everyone within 24 hours. I've done that for the last 20 years. And so uh, people who don't feel comfortable going on social media to engage, which I actually prefer that people uh, either use Twitter or use the email, can visit gemtrainers.com and use the contact form there to get in touch with me. That's good. So that's G-E-M, the word trainers.com, the contact form. There is a way. Uh, to reach out to him and he's offering what would normally be a $750 coaching one hour call for $500. We're going to have this information in the description for this particular podcast so that you're able to reach out uh, to him and say that you uh, heard him on the Wealthy Life podcast. It is absolutely um, just unbelievable the things that you have shared with us and our audience on uh, today, I would like for if you could take a moment just to kind of share from the heart, just what would you say are some of the principal things that you have just learned to govern your life uh, by that's led to the success that you're experiencing now? Yeah, so you've heard some of them in this conversation. One is the three principles, responsibility, seeking feedback, collective leadership. I also said none of us are in jeopardy of mastering anything. The humility that you need as a leader to create space for other people to lead and to coalesce around you is really important. I think there's one I haven't mentioned and it might be a little bit striking to your listeners, which is leaders live in conflict. I believe that if you wake up in the morning and you have a number of different conflicts that you need to engage in that day, that that is exactly where leaders belong. People think of conflict as a bad thing. I think of conflict as an opportunity to invest in other people. And so I find ways to lean into conflict to produce the kind of outcomes that I'm trying to produce. So if I have a real estate agent that is somehow giving me a hard time and not showing up the way I need them to show up, I could sit there and say, oh, I really don't want to deal with this, so much conflict. Or I could say, you know what? This person could be their better selves. And so let me speak to the leader. Let me think about what I appreciate about this real estate agent. And let me think about that. And let me sort of embed that in my heart and my mind and then speak to that. Because when you speak to the leader, people hear you differently. If you speak to the jerk, if you speak to the person who's not showing up, like if you, even if you think you're hiding it, you don't hide it. People hear it, they pick up on it, and they respond to it. So I speak to the leader, and I see conflict as a huge opportunity. And I would urge your listeners to really pivot um, uh, the frame that they use to think about conflict and see it as an opportunity to grow themselves and grow other leaders and attract the kind of talent they need to be successful. That's really, really good. So part of your business is helping people through crisis and things of that nature. So I would venture to say that you're probably not afraid of crisis and you, you may say to people to embrace crisis. What is your advice to people who are watching this or listening to this who are experiencing crisis all around themselves right now? Yeah, well, the first thing I do is look for Christ when I'm in crisis. Um, and so my faith helps bring me through uh, crisis, first of all. And then the second thing I would say is um, I have never been in a dark place where there's not sun on the horizon. 
you know, you just have to stay focused. And at times when you can't see that sunlight, you just have to keep your arms out. Someone will grab your hand. And you just have to be open to that and available to that. And all human beings go through crisis. And, you know, when we have a world full of social media today where people carefully curate some of the most amazing things that are happening in their lives to make people who are going through crisis lose faith that those people similarly have crisis, but everyone has crisis at different points. Surround yourself with a small kitchen cabinet of people who really care about you, because that's all that exists anyway. I don't care how many hundreds of people you think you know, or thousands of people, there's always a small handful of people that will walk with you in the dark, in the valley. Keep that space open for those people, identify them before you end up in crisis. If you're already in crisis, be vulnerable, give yourself grace, forgive yourself and look for that sunlight on the horizon. Absolutely great. Well, Glenn, we are so honored to have had this time with you on today. You have certainly advanced our audience and us, and it's been absolutely our pleasure uh, to host you on today. We're so looking forward to this. Certainly want to bring you back on someday in the future to hear how things are going, and I'm certain uh, your journey is going to continue to evolve as I'm sure there'll be other things that you will find time to create uh, along this journey. But again, we're so excited to have had you with us on today, and we look forward to connecting with you again very, very soon. Well, thanks again for the opportunity, and thanks for the collective leadership work that you're doing, investing in others. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, we're going to be right back to do our closing. And uh, again, we look forward to connecting with Glenn. Glenn again. Do not forget that you can reach him at Glenn E. Martin, at Glenn E. Martin on Twitter, IG, any of his social media, or gymtrainers.com. We'll be right back in just a moment. Do you want to live wealthy and pass wealth on to your generations? If so, then you're probably aware that 95% of people 65 years of age are not financially independent. This is a depressing number when 100% of 25-year-olds say yes to our question of wanting to live wealthy. This is the reason Dwayne Youngblood launched Be Wealthy Too and why you should connect with them today. Be Wealthy Too believes living wealthy is the right of every human, but not the guarantee. They believe to live wealthy, you must eliminate all bad debt, establish good credit, begin an investment plan where you invest in either stocks, bonds, crypto, real estate, art, or some other asset that will put income in your pocket, all while living an authentic life. Once you connect with Be Wealthy 2 and Dwayne's team, you will be on your way to building, living, and sustaining a wealthy life. Well, welcome back again to the Wealthy Life Podcast. We have had an awesome day here today with Glenn E. Martin. Don't forget that's at Glenn E. Martin on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to connect with him outside of the social media and you want to get that one-on-one -on -one coaching call, $500 if you mention the Wealthy Life Podcast, it's gymtrainers.com. There's a private form there you can fill out and get connected and do that as I believe you can only benefit from such 
a connection and he shared so much with us today i want to give an opportunity for my partners i've done all the talking in this interview and these these guys are just a wealth of great information insight and support to what we're doing here i want to give a chance for them to share something with you maybe what they heard or how they felt or whatever it might be i'm going to start with malcolm and then we'll finish with aiden go ahead malcolm yeah so first i just love just hearing them talking taking a lot of information from them honestly um the the main thing that i loved about this entire interview is that he was just very real and he said that you learn everything you learn on your journey to success in business when you're in the valleys not when you're on the mountaintop so um that just gave me like all the confidence in the world for anytime i'm going through something again um remember that and know that after this hard moment only light is going to shine after that. So it's just a reminder to everybody and even us to always keep pushing forward no matter how hard it gets because um, nothing will ever last forever when it's hard. It's always going to come back around. You're going to reach the other side. So that was great. Great interview for sure. Absolutely. All right. Real good. Thank you. What about you, Aiden? Man, there, that, there was a lot of information there. And just to see you both bouncing back and forth and just kind of listening in as a student, um, just the story, like, this guy was in jail for six years of his life. And, you know, some of us are over here complaining about our coffee's wrong in the morning or, or something along those lines. And this guy bought 40 properties in a year with that background, coming from the hood, going to jail, right? Um, and it's just inspiring. You know, if, if, if he could do it with that kind of history and that kind of story, anybody could do it. Like, anybody can do it. That's so I'm fired up. And I, we, we didn't even get a call with him. This is just like, just talking. Like, I'm just like, man, like I, I want to, I want to accomplish just a fraction of what you did. <laughs> right? Oh, <that's> <laughs> Crazy. That's good. It's phenomenal. When you see someone operating in their authentic lane, being the best version they can be of themselves, this is what happens. This is why the Wealthy Life Podcast exists. We're here to help you build, live, and sustain wealth. Wealth is not just money. It's also your life. I mean, you want to live an authentic life. And what we just saw on display is a man who is authentically living his best life. And we were so honored to bring it to you on today. Well, do not forget, you can look at the description of this uh, podcast or in uh, the description in the video version and you can connect with us. Uh, we're so excited for the opportunity to share this with you on a weekly basis. We're gonna keep bringing you great content. We're gonna keep bringing you things that are gonna help you uh, develop that life that you want so that you can pass it on for generations to come. Well, know that my advice to you is to be wealthy too. You have an absolutely great day. <laughs>